Two men on a mission to change the face of the organ world. Driven by their passion for the king of instruments, these two seek to share their love of the pipe organ with as many people as possible. Through their own arrangements of popular film, TV, and video game music, our hosts use their unconventional approaches to inspire pipe organ enthusiasts, both young and old, and to bring new audiences to this magnificent instrument. Together with you, they will journey through the fascinating world of the pipe organ, always eager and never afraid to break with tradition. Rob Labinsky and Johnny Salimovich are the Organ Mavericks. everyone, and welcome to the Organ Mavericks Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Slamovich. And I'm your other host, Rob Lubinsky. And for this 17th overall episode, we will be going into our second episode of our mini-series known as the Organ Mavericks in History series. And for this one, we'll be discussing about Charles-Marie Vidor, or by his long name for the heck of it, Charles-Marie Jean-Albert Vidor. <laughs> but to keep things simple, we'll... Call, we'll just call him Charles Marie Vidor or Charles Vidor, just to keep things short and simple here. So, of course, this the the name Vidor may be familiar to some of you Mavericks out there, possibly many, because you may have heard of the famous Vidor Toccata. And, of course, this is the Toccata from the Fifth Symphony. It's very often played on Easter. It's often played at weddings, sometimes um, at Christmas. It's a it's a Probably, probably the second most famous classical organ piece after Bach's Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Um, so, if, if you think that name sounds familiar, that is probably how you know it, and you probably you probably know that piece if you were to hear it. But we're gonna go a little bit in today on um, you know on his background and you know what he kind of did to to innovate organ music. Mm-hmm, indeed, and. A great way to start off with that is to start off with his uh with his with uh, Vidor's overall life and background and uh, how he became the uh, well-known organist that we know today that uh, innovated that helped that helped uh, innovate organ music to how we're hearing it today. And so we will be leaving our sites in the in the episode notes for you guys to follow along with to follow along with us, though for the sake <clears throat> for the sake of keeping things uh, simple, I will be referencing from the Wikipedia page, which does have its own references, which are cited in the site. So of course we will include the Wikipedia page in the episode notes as well as the other sites that Rob and I have found. And so, <clears throat> Vidor was born in Lyon, France, to a family of organ builders, and initially studied in music there with his father Francois Charles. Vidor, hence uh, probably where Charles got his name from, his father, which makes a lot of sense there. A titular, or and his father was a titular, was a titular, titular, titular. Yep, his father was a titular organist of Saint Francois de Sales from eighteen thirty eight to to eighteen eighty nine. The French organ builder, 
The French organ builder Artistide Calvay Cole, reviver of the art of organ building, was a friend of the Vidor family. He arranged for the talented young organist to study in Brussels, Belgium in 1863 with J.N. Le Mans or Jacques Nicolas Le Mans, also known for the fanfare, which is a pretty well-known organ piece, for organ technique and with the when and with the elderly Francois Joseph Fetti, director of the Brussels Conservatoire for composition. Yes. After this term, uh, sorry. Um. So one of the things um, that I came across with this, this move was actually considered controversial. Um. The the um like the 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 practice for the day was to go to the Paris Conservatory. Um, and so like, it was kind of, it was kind of unorthodox for, um, for Vidor to be sent to Brussels. And a, a lot of that was due to Cavai Cole really was, you know, looking out for the best interest and, um, you know, recognized the, the talent that, um, that Lemon had, um, as an organist and as a teacher. And so that was why he pushed so hard for Vidor to, to go and study, um, with him. And I, 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 I think that, I think that move paid off. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed, in a positive way. Uh, yeah, in a really positive way, as far as I can, uh, as far as I can see with that. And after this term of study, Vidor moved to Paris, where he resided for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. At the age of twenty-four, he was uh, yeah a little bit younger than me. He was at at uh, that time, of course. He was appointed. He was appointed assistant to Camille Saint. Camille Saint Jean at Saint Saint I <laughs> I got the <laughs> yeah I wasn't too familiar with how his uh, name was pronounced so my bad <laughs> Camille Sa so Camille Saint Saint Jean or I believe that was it Saint 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 okay so Camille Saint Saint at Eglise de la Madeleine or Madeleine or yeah Madeleine I believe and now in January of eighteen seventy with the combined lobbying of Cavai Cole, Saint-Saint, and Charles Gon, the 25-year-old Vidor, now he's at the same age as I am right now, was appointed as provisional organist of Saint-Supplice Saint in Paris, or Paris, for, the, for our French-speaking French listeners out there. The most prominent position for a French organist at the time. Yes. The, I, I, mm -hmm. I came across an interesting thing that apparently went when he went into this, um, it was a it was a provisional appointment that was provisional for sixty three years. <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> wow, wait a minute, provisional. Yeah, I've heard that term before, though I'm not really sure what it means. Do you happen to know? Basically, what it, means? it means that like we're gonna try this out and we'll see if it works, oh. but you're you're not guaranteed a position here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but <laughs> that provisional must have. Oh, was it just was it provisional throughout the rest of his life? No, I, I'm or? sure it became permanent at some point. <laughs> yeah, I figured that. Okay, so where was I here? Oh, yes, the organ at the organ at Saint Sulpice was Cavai Cole's masterwork at the time. The instrument's spectacular cap capabilities proved an inspiration to Vidor. Despite his job's ostensibly provisional nature, Vidor remained as organist at at at, at Saint Sulpice for nearly sixty-four years until the until the end of nineteen thirty-three. 
He was succeeded in 1934 by his former student and assistant, Marcel Dupre. Marcel Dupre. My favorite organist. Nice. And in 1890, upon the death of César Franck, Vidor succeeded him as an as organ professor at the at the Paris Conservatoire. The class he inherited was initially stunned by his new teacher who suddenly demanded a formidable <laughs> technique and a knowledge of G.S. Bach's organ works as prerequisites <laughs> to effective improvisation. Later, in 1896, he gave up this post to become the composition professor at the same institution. Vidor had several students in Paris who were to become famous composers and organists in their own right. Most notably, the aforementioned Dupre, Louis, Ver Louis Vierne, Charles Tournemir, Charles I believe, Tournemir, yes, Darius Terrace Milhoud, Alexander Schreiner, Schreiner, I believe that's the pronunciation, Edgar Varese, Edgar Varese, and the Canadian Henri Gagnon. Albert Schweitzer also studied with Vidor mainly from 1899. Master and pupil later collaborated with an intonated edition of J.S. Bach's works published in 1912 to 1914. Vidor, whose own Master Le Mans was an important Bach exponent, encouraged Schweitzer's uh, the theological exploration of Bach's music. Among the leading organ recitalists of his time, Vidor visited many different nations in this capacity, including Russia, England, Germany, the Netherlands, Portugal, Italy, Poland, and Switzerland. Oh boy, that's a, that's a handful. And I think the U.S. In, as well. Oh wow, strange. You didn't mention that. Hmm, interesting. I saw something about that, but maybe that was his students um, mm. performed in the U.S. Uh, yep, perhaps. In addition, he participated in the inaugural concerts of many Cavalcol's greatest instruments, notably Notre Dame de Paris, Saint Germain de Prés, the Tro Trocadero, Trocadero, and Saint Ouen de Rouen. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names, but it's the first time I saw these names, so bear with me here. Yeah, please bear with me here. Well known as a man of great culture and learning, Vidor was made the Chevalier de la Lyon d'Honneur in 1892 and reached the rank of a Grand Officer de la Lyon d'Honneur in, in 1933. He was named to the Institut de, Fran Institut de France in 1910 and was rejected and, and was my bad. He was elected Secretaire Perpetuel. Per Perpetuel. Per permanent secretary of the Académie du Beau-Art du Beau in 1914, succeeding, succeeding Henri Brujon. In 1921, Vidor founded the American Conservatory at Font Fontainebleau with Francis-Louis Cassadius. He was the director until 1934, when he was succeeded by Maurice Ravel. His close friend Isidore Philippe gave piano lessons there, and Nadia Boulanger taught an entire generation of new composers. At the age of 76, Vidor married Mathieu de... Math... Math... Mathilde Math... de Montesquieu-Fezensac. Yes, thank you. <laughs> On 
on the 26th of April, 1920, at Chalchigny, at I believe. The 36-year-old Mathilde, Mathilde, or what? The 36-year-old Mathilde was a member of one of the oldest and most prominent families of Europe. They had no children. She died in 1960. On December 31st, 1933, at age 89, Vidor retired from his position from his position as the as the main organist at Saint at Saint Sulpice. Three years later, he suffered a stroke which paralyzed the right side of his body. Although he remained mentally alert to last, he died at his home in Paris on March 12th, 1937, at the age of 93, and his remains were interred in the crypt of Saint Sulpice four days later. So it looks like uh <clears throat> even though even though Vidor did suffer from uh even though Vidor did suffer from a stroke in his uh, later years looked like he later on uh, died of old age. <clears throat> which is a good way to which is a good way to pass away for sure of due to natural causes. Yep. Yes. And he definitely left a really big legacy. Yes. Which we're going to discuss more about. So when we talk about his um his his musical works, um the 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 most prominent um you know and what he's remembered for today are his ten organ symphonies. Um, there there um, he also composed um, two operas and actually did a number of ballets. I don't know how much of that music actually survives. Um. And and one thing I actually came across as I was doing my research for this was that like as a composer, I think he was actually like during his lifetime was more known for his operas than his organ music. Wow. Um so kind of the opposite of Bach, where Bach was known as this, you know, virtuoso organist, you know, and not so much for, you know, his chamber music and, you know, oratorios. Fedor's kind of the opposite, you know. He's this, you know, masterful organist who was known for his operas, um, you know, during his lifetime. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, you look at you look at the body of works that he has, you know, and you say ten symphonies. Well, okay, obviously a symphony is a big work, you know, but if if that's all his contribution, you know, to the organ world, that that's not a lot of works, you know. When you look at the, you know, the hundreds of pieces that Bach has. Um, Ten symphonies doesn't sound like a lot, um, you know, but we, you know, Johnny, you mentioned this, you know, talking about, um, you know, Bach's influence in improvisation. Improvisation was a huge part of um, French organ culture at this time. You know, it, it, it was expected that you improvised, and so I suspect that, you know, a lot of Vidor's quote-unquote composing was probably improvising that, you know, at the time they didn't have a way to preserve. And so, you know, a lot of that stuff is probably lost to history. Um, so, you know, so there, so there was probably a greater um, body of work that he had, but that, that falls into that, um, that category of improvisation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah. And so he, you, know, you had mentioned about, you know, him, him kind of taking the, the conservatory by storm. Yeah. So he, he was very, very heavily, heavily influenced, um, by, um, by Bach's mastery at the organ. 
you know, and really, and really, really pushed that on himself and his students as kind of like the, the key to being a virtuoso performer. Um, you know, he was, he was extremely dedicated to that, you know, um, and, and we'll get into this in a little bit, you know, but, um, you know, bringing a, a very um, serious mindset to to performing on the organ. And so, you know, that, that, you know, being able to play Bach was very, very high on his, um, you know, on his, on his lists of, of ways to, to be able to play. Um, and a lot of that is reflected in his music. Before we go, before we kind of go into, you know, Vidor's innovations, you know, as far as, you know, as far as organ music goes, um, we have to take a little bit of a sidebar and talk about Aristide Cavaicol, um, because really these two gentlemen kind of go hand in hand with, with their innovations. Um, you know, obviously Kevaikol was, was the organ builder and did a lot to that. Um, you know, and as Johnny and I were talking before we started recording, we're like, Kevaikol could probably get his own, his own segment, um, in this series in terms of what he did for the instrument. Um, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of focusing more on organists and what they do. Um, and Kevaikol was a builder, not a, I mean, I'm sure he could play the instrument. Um, <laughs> You know, but he, you know, there, there, there's no pieces out there by Kevai Cole that you can go look up and play. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. You know, and so, so that's, you know, um, you know, maybe, you know, looking into everything that Kevai Cole did for the organ, um, you know, is, is, is a topic for another, another episode. Um, but it, it, it's important to kind of understand what he was doing in terms of organ building because that really inspired what Vidor did. Um, you know, with his music. Um, and so, you know, some of the, uh, some of the innovations from Kavai Cole, um, he, um, you know, he, he looked at the, the air pressure, you know, in the, in the wind chests on the organs and he increased that pressure. And what that did was it allowed more stops to be played at once. You know, so whereas you might have had a limited number, when you increase that air pressure, then you can have more pipes sounding at the same time. So in addition to the air pressure, um, you know, Kavaikol invented um, new stops, brand new stops for the organ, and he 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 revoiced pipes so that they would better imitate um, reed instruments and string instruments and brass instruments. Um, wow. You know, he... Um, uh, one of the things that I came across... Um, was that like, um, you know, so we think about like swell chests nowadays. So we have, you know, you have the swell shades, which organists can open close and, you know, that gives you control over volume. Um, you know, you, you think of them as like, you know, as like, uh, like blinds on a window, you know, when they're open, they let the light through when they're closed, the light doesn't come through. Well, the same is, it's the exact same principle for sound. And of course, I'm holding my hand up to demonstrate this, like you can see it. <laughs> um, so you had that. And so this existed on organs prior to Kevai Cole, but um, the functionality was really limited. Um, there was some kind of like ratchet thing and basically like the, the shades could lock into like two or three positions. So like a smooth crescendo by opening the boxes wasn't possible. It was, it was a very kind of clunky mechanism. 
And so mm-hmm. Kevai took a look at this and, you know, worked with it and developed um, a much more smooth transition so that, you know, you would have a gradual opening and closing of those shutters um, as opposed to think of it as think of it as, you know, the, the old ones were digital and and um, Kevai Cole made them analog. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, you know, to, to, to use that analogy. And so, you know, it, it mm-hmm. allowed for, you know, greater control of dynamics, um, you know, and you had you had a lot more tonal color. Um, you know, and the other thing about these organs is, you know, we've we've talked in the past about, you know, you have tracker action versus electropneumatic action. So all of these organs yep. at this time are tracker instrument, which means that you press a key and there's a series of strings that essentially opens the pipe. Well, you mm-hmm. think about it, if you have, you know, if you're pressing, you know, one key, you know, if you have one stop going and you're pressing it, okay, that's one string. If you have 15 stops pulled, now you're having to pull the weight of 15 strings. And it gets heavier wow. and heavier as you do it. Oh, so, yeah. you know, as he, as he is, you know, developing all these new stops and, you know, increasing the size of the instruments, they're harder and harder to play. So he really worked on the the mechanics of how that work and was able to take some of that weight off the keys so that organists would be able to play easier um you know you you look at you know you look at some of Vidor's later works and how virtuosic they get and it would not have been possible to play them on these I- instruments because of how fatiguing it would have been to play um to play the instruments and then I, I think that, I mean, I, I could go on for quite a while on this, but I, th- I think the last thing that's really kind of relevant to our discussion today is um, um, uh, Kevai Cole developed these pedal combination levers. And so, you know, up to this point, you know, if you wanted to have, if you wanted to change your stops, you know, you had to pull them all by hand. You had to turn them on and pull them off by hand. And generally there were, you know, a couple of assistants that would be doing this for the organist. Well, as the instruments get bigger, it's really, really hard to be able to do this quickly. So, like, even if you have, you know, two or three um, stop pullers on either side, to change registration quickly is becoming a much more difficult um, feet and so Kavai Cole developed these levers into the pedal combination levers which essentially you know is what we have today you know this this combination action where the organist can preset a number of stops and then you hit this lever in the pedal and those stops come on automatically um, mm-hmm. so really kind of revolutionized what was possible with the instrument um, mm-hmm. and so um you know, and so this is what inspired Vidor, and he took all of these innovations, these things that were being done to to really improve and modernize for the time <laughs> um, the instrument, and used that to build on it and just essentially push the capabilities of the organ um, to their limits. So up to this point. Um, transitioning back to Vidor, um, so you know, up to this point, you know, if you're if you're looking at you know, like masterworks composed for the organ, you're thinking of sonatas. Bach had his trio sonatas. Mendelssohn had um, sonatas that he composed for the organ. This was the style, um, you know, very. Um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Fun, refined. Um, um, Delicate's not quite the word that I want to use, but certainly not as full and rich a texture. You know, it's a, a you know a sonata is typically thought of as a piece for a solo instrument. You know, you think of like piano sonatas of you know Mozart and Beethoven, um, 
you know, and things like that, and, you know, and you get them for like, you know, flute and violin and everything else, you know, with a little bit of accompaniment, but the texture is, is much more limited than you would think of with, um, you know, than with an orchestra, you know, if you think of, you know, you, you, you hear symphony and you automatically picture a 72 piece orchestra led by a conductor. Well, you know, with all the, with all the developments to the organ, you know, it has all of these, these, um, rich, you know, tonal colors now, you know, and allows for a much greater texture. And so, um, you know, Vidor, with his inspiration, you know, from all the technological advances, wrote symphonies in this much richer, um, fuller, more colorful texture. Um, and, um, and in his symphonies, he, like I said, he has 10 symphonies. They get kind of broken down into three categories. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that, um, in a little bit. Um, but, but to understand where, where Vidor kind of came from and his mindset, you know, in, in pushing organ music, you kind of need to understand what was happening with music at the time. So really from the, the time of Bach, um, organ music really kind of went into a decline. Um, and... Um, and, and there's also a general decline in French music um, during the classical era. You know, you think of the rise of Mozart and Beethoven, and you have your Austrian and German. There's not a lot going on with French composers at the time, and that is because this is France was in quite a time of turmoil. You know, you have the French Revolution during that era, and so you know a lot of things are going on in society, and so you know the arts are maybe not as prominent <laughs> as they once were in France. Um, you know, but so, you know, as things are starting to settle down, as we get into the romantic era, um, you know, the, um, you know, there, there starts to be a, a resurgence and a desire to, to really return French music, um, you know, to, uh, you know, to a much higher level. And so in, in 1871, the Société Nationale de Musique, um, was formed by um, Camille Saint-Saëns, César Franck, Gabriel Fauré, and Charles-Marie Vidor. And the, the goal of this society was really to, um, to improve French music, to take a much more serious approach to it, um, you know, and, and kind of to take what other cultures were doing really, really well and incorporate that into French music, you know, and then, and then give it that, um, that nationalistic flair of, um, French music, you know, and up to this point, you know, as I said, you know, the organ had been in decline. It, it really, the, it, it kind of became trivialized almost, um, you know, a lot of it was, was not taken seriously. A lot of it was considered kind of trite. Um, and Vidor was like, no, 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 we, we're, we're fixing this. You know, the organ is this masterful, grand instrument. It needs to be treated as such. Um, you know, and so, um, you know, and so that's, you know, that, that's where he came from, you know, in this, you know, and like I said, was heavily influenced by Bach and Bach, you know, was, was an absolute master at the organ, you know, and so Vidor wanted to, to build on Bach's legacy, you know, with, with the music that he did, um, you know, and so, you know, as, as, as he's developing, you know, his symphonies, he's starting to use, you know, new techniques, um, you know, of, you know, changing manuals, you know, 
fairly frequently, and, and this varies, you know, as we'll get into with his with his different symphonies, you know. But and then, you know, within within movements of the works, changing registrations and not subtly changing registrations like oh maybe we take off you know the two foot flute here and add another four foot you know no like drastic changes from okay you know now we're flutes and now we're full organ with you know reeds and everything like that you know and this is something that was really unheard of being able to do just because of the the limitations of the organ and and the organist you know, and not only that, you know, and not only, you know, making these drastic changes in registrations, but doing them quickly. It's not like, okay, we hit a chord and then we breathe and a registration gets frantically changed while nobody is here. And then we go back into it. No, it's like, okay, we hit a chord and the registration changes instantly and we're off into the new section. Um, you know, and so this was, you know, this is, you know, this is something that you could do with an orchestra, you know, because all you got to do is switch which instruments are playing, you know, as, as, you know, as the composers go, and you can have that sudden change in texture, you know, I think of, you know, I, I, the, the one that comes to mind is, you know, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, and it starts out, you know, with this big, you know, full string section, and then it goes into this little, like, flute and, and oboe section, and it's like, that wasn't possible on the organ, and now it is. Um, you know, and so, like, you know, to be able to do something like that, you know, was really kind of revolutionary um, at the time. You know, again, you know, with all the, you know, the technological advancements, you know, you have, you know, w you know, we talked about, okay, so there's registration changes, but there's, there are, there's new things that you can do in how you play the instrument. So obviously, you know, we talked about, you know, Cavai Cole upping the wind pressure. Well, now you can have these huge chords, you know, four or five note chords in both hands. Um, and again, you know, you look at Bach and this really isn't something that you see very much. And if you do see big chords, it's probably, you know, a very limited number of stops. Although, little sidebar here, um, going back to Bach, there's this, there's this wonderful anecdote about Bach, because he apparently, he used to drive organ builders crazy, because when he would get to a new instrument, he would pull on every single stop on the organ, and then he would just drop his forearms onto the keys, <laughs> essentially oh, <man>. seeing <laughs> how many stops he could play at one time. Oh, wow. And he drove organ builders up a wall, because the instruments were not designed to do that. <laughs> Oh man, that would have yeah. I could imagine. I could imagine GS. I could imagine you know GS Bach at the time. You know trying that out. He he was pretty bummed out that uh, the, the, that uh, there weren't there weren't enough um, advances advancements with the organ uh, when he was alive. Yeah. Which, as I said, it bummed bummed him out a lot. Until now, we're now talking about Vidor changing that around. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, Bach, yeah. Bach, 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 put, Bach wanted to push the instruments just like Vidor did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, yeah. Okay. So you, so you have these big chords. Another thing is repeated notes. So you know, I talked about the trackers. You know, you mm -hmm. think about that, and um, you know, it's like okay, you know, so it, you know, it's the direct connection. You know, but we're talking about you know a, a, a string that's many, many feet long. You know, and so reaction time's not exactly quick um mm -hmm. you know yep. i mean obviously it's instantaneous um you know but in terms of you know like having to you know react you know the the mechanisms having to react to all of that um you know takes a little bit of time and you know now it's gotten to the point where repeated notes 
fast repeated notes are now possible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like 16th yep. notes, um, you know, being repeated is, is possible, you know, and, you know, and really pushing speed on, you know, virtuosic passages. Um, oh, yes. You know, it is now something that is, um, is, is possible and so you know it's it's really cool to see you know the the instrument is really being pushed to its limit you know both by the builder and by the composer you know the builder says okay hey now you can do these things and the composer is going okay i'm gonna do them and i'm gonna do more <laughs> mm-hmm. um yeah although one of the things that i found really interesting in in this is you know as while Vitor was was you know really um, focused on registrations and you know and really being able to to get the most out of the instruments, in his published music, he actually kept his registrations listings very very simple. Hmm. And this is because like he traveled around, he performed on a number of different instruments all throughout Europe, um, and he realized that you know not every organ that's out there you know, is a brand new cavicle with all these, all these capabilities. And, you know, not everybody has five manuals. We can all hope mm-hmm. and dream someday. <laughs> um, yep. um, you know, and so what he did, you know, when he was publishing, because he knew people would want to be able to play these things, you know, and he's looking at, you know, organs in, in Germany, in Spain, in the United Kingdom, in, in the U.S., because, he has, you know, he had his students performing there. Um, you know, he kept his registration simple so that they would be adaptable to to other instruments, um, you know, because he recognized that, you know, yeah, not everybody has what I have, but I still want people to be able to play this. And so, you know, I, I thought that was really cool that, you know, you know, he could be like, well, this is how it has to be played because, you know, this is how I did it, you know, and he's like, no, you know. I, I want people to be able to play this on their instrument, and I want people to be able to interpret it, um, you know, and have the flexibility to interpret it and, and mm-hmm. fit it to their instrument, um, you yeah. know. And so, and so, I really admire that um, in him. Yeah. Yes, he was being very thoughtful about that as well. That's, yeah, and also being uh, really honest and really honest and uh, you know humble about it as well, instead of. Instead of having the mentality that uh, so that something has to be played like that, and so yeah, Vitor was able to give himself the reality check that not everything is like this right now. Though in the future, more and more organs will definitely have will be a lot more capable, <clears throat> as the as of will be a lot more capable like the Calvi organs are even better. Yeah. Yep. One aside, real quick here. Um, because mm-hmm. I'm gonna go and talk about the Vitor the the Vitor Toccata. Um, mm-hmm. if you wanted to, um, that is public domain. If you want to pull my video, um, that I just did of that to put a little sample of it in, feel free to do that. Oh, if you if you, uh, don't, if you don't feel like editing it in, that's not a problem. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah, because um, I wasn't sure. Well, it'll I it'll wasn't... make sense in a minute. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay, sure, and uh, and uh, yes, I did remember seeing you perform. I did remember seeing that video of uh, yours, and uh, yes, uh, you were saying we could uh, pop that into the episode notes as a sample. Oh, I was that? gonna, I was gonna say pull the audio from it, and and just, oh, and, just and just pop it into the podcast. Oh, for sure, we could do that. Yeah. I, I mean, guess. not the I'm whole thing, look... but you could give them a little sample of it. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm going to quickly look that up now. And while I'm doing it, what else uh, can you... Uh, is there something else you can uh, say yeah. about it while I look yeah. it up? Um, you know, so, so while we're talking about, you know... Virtu- virtuosity in, in Vidor's pieces and, you know, and being able to play, you know, the repeated notes and, you know, and the, the faster tempos. I, I, I want to pull a little bit of an aside and talk about the Vidor Toccata. Um, so this is a piece, it, and it, it is a virtuosic piece of music. Um, you know, it's, and, and it's something that, you know, usually is, usually is taken at a fairly breakneck pace. Um, you know, and, it, Ooh, and, yeah. and, it, and if you listen to that, you know, you'll hear, you know, it, you know, most organists nowadays take it at a, at a, at a fairly good clip. Um, mm-hmm. Vidor himself didn't actually take it that fast. Oh, um, wow. Interesting. Um, now, I haven't heard the recording, but he actually did make a recording of this later in his life. Um hmm. And and I think part of this was taking into account the acoustics of Cecil Peace. You know, this is a this is a massive French cathedral. There's a lot of resonance in there, um, but his focus was on clarity and um, precision of execution in the piece, and so he actually doesn't take it that fast. Um, oh wow! You know, and I and I think you know, and, and I think you know, um, you know, with performance and with the capability of the organ, you know, we we. We, we, we you know we like to push the limits of what we can do and so it is it is typically taken at a faster pace nowadays but I, <laughs> I thought it was very interesting that he didn't take it um, as fast um, mm-hmm. you know a, as we take it nowadays and he would wow. probably probably cringe at it I don't know <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah I think I can imagine I can imagine <laughs> Vidor cringing at <laughs> organist uh, current organist playing a little bit too fast. <laughs> You know, with with, oh, with with his emphasis on you know on Bach and you know precision and all of that and you know virtuosic mastery, um, yeah, I could see him maybe having a few negative comments about that. Yeah, yeah. There was this uh, very uh, there was this uh, meme thing going around which uh, can be you know related to this uh, to this uh, to this uh, you know with uh, you know with people playing Vidor's Toccata at. Uh, you know, slightly faster than what Vidor originally intended to, which is weird flex, but okay. <laughs> yeah, have you heard of yes. those? Oh man, weird flex, but okay. Yeah. Like organists flexing that they can uh, play it faster, even though Vidor himself didn't really intended it to be played that fast. <laughs> oh man, uh, it's not the okay. I'm not the thing is though. The thing is though, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to discriminate anyone who's doing that. That is completely fine if you want to play the piece at that pace, if you're more than capable of p- performing it at that piece. Just keep in mind, Vidor himself <laughs> didn't really intend it to play that fast, though uh, more power to you if you're able to play it that fast. <laughs> I, yeah, more power to you there. I, I say this, and I play it every Easter, um, and I play it, very very fast knowing full well the Vidor did not play it fast and i fall into oh. that category of this is my interpretation of that piece all right and that's how i'm going to do it so i play it fast uh, <laughs> yes and we're going to sample at least 20 to 30 seconds of uh, how uh, of how rob performed it in this uh, video just uh, yeah give me a few moments to get it quickly set up you'll hear it in just a moment Thank you. 
So now that we've actually looked at um, at one of Vidor's pieces, so let let's go in and talk about his symphonies because obviously this is you know this is where you know his innovation comes into play. So as I said earlier, his his symphonies break down really into into three periods. So he has his early symphonies, um, which are his first four. He has um, what are kind of considered his mature symphonies, and those are five through eight. And then his late symphonies, nine and ten, which are the Gothique and Romaine symphonies, respectively. Wow. So his early symphonies um, really really took a lot of inspiration from Baroque music. Obviously, as we've said many, many times on this podcast, he was heavily influenced by Bach. Um, and so... Um, you see a lot of that influence in his early symphonies, um, you know, and what that what that comes what that translates to is, um, you know, you didn't see a ton of changes within movements as far as, um, you know, texture changes, tempo changes, um, you know, stop changes. You you didn't see nearly as many of those within. Now there was still a fairly um, a fairly big range of styles through the different movements of the symphonies. Um, you know, but the, the styles tended to be contained, um, within the movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the number of movements varied fairly greatly from symphony to symphony. Um, you know, you think of like the traditional orchestral symphony, and they're typically four movements. Um, you know, as you start to get out of the classical, that's that starts to vary. But the the general um, format of that is 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 four movements, and Vidor's organ symphonies really really didn't adhere to that very much. Um, actually, I think his later ones did, um, like his last two, um, were four movements. But yeah, there there's a there's a whole range of of numbers of movements um in his in his earlier symphonies i should point out too that vidor did not invent the organ symphony um it was actually um cesar franck who who came up with the idea of the organ symphony um you know who was you know a contemporary predecessor of vidor um you know but vidor really kind of took the idea and ran with it um, you know, and to made made it into you know what we think of today in terms of organ symphonies. So his 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 quote unquote mature symphonies numbers five through eight. Um, so the structure of these uh, the structure of the movements becomes a lot more complicated. Um, you know, so as you see, um, you know, greater greater variety of tempos of texture of dynamics um, of of. Um, stop color of rhythmic variation um, within the movements. You know, you're starting to see that. Um, you know, I, I, I think of the, um, I think of the the first movement of his fifth, fifth symphony, um, and it is a it is a theme and variation. And there's an uh, I'm trying to remember how many variations there are. I want to say there's like at least ten variations, um, and just such contrast. Um, between the variations, you know, they kind of build and build and build, 
and then it drops to almost nothing. And it's 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 just amazing to look at the textural changes in it. Um, and it's it's that is actually the first movement of his fifth symphony. It's actually probably my favorite of all of Vidor's pieces. Um, it's just it's just so cool what he is able to do with it. Um, you know, and um, so and you you start to see. You know, we talked about you know. Um, you know, the, um, the, um, uh, what was the name of it? Uh, the name of it was the, the, the Societe Nationale de Musique. Um, you know, them, them taking, you know, um, you know, building upon what other cultures were doing really, really well. So in, you know, in Vidor's mature period, you, you start to see the influence of, you know, some of the, some of the romantic German composers. So you see, you know, influences of Schumann and Wagner are, are starting to, you know, to kind of come into, um, into Vidor's style in this period. Um, you know, and this is, you know, really, really kind of, this, this is where he starts to really push, you know, what the organ is capable of, um, you know, and so then we get into his late symphonies, and so these are actually the only two that get named, um, the Gothic and the Romaine, and each of them is actually dedicated to a different church. Um, and so this is where he kind of takes everything that he's done up to this point, throws it out, and goes in a completely new direction. Um, so, like I said, you know, these symphonies are now four movements. Um, there is, um, there's a lot of religious, um, impact on these symphonies. Obviously, as you said, they were dedicated to, to different churches. Um, and so most of, most of, if not all of, I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. Um, but most of the movements are based around hymn tunes or plain chant tunes. So they all have, um, they all have a sacred nature to them, whereas, you know, all the previous ones really, I guess, could be considered secular. I mean, obviously, they were composed for and played in a church. Um, we, we actually had this discussion in the last podcast, um, mm-hmm. you know, about the, you know, secular versus sacred. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but so these, you know, you really start to see much more of a, a sacred um, influence in them. Um, yeah. And so, and that's, you know, that's where, you know, we kind of wrap it up. And, you know, you say, yeah, you know, ten, 10 symphonies, you know, you think, oh, well, he composed 10 pieces. Yeah, well, the, they're, they're full symphonies. I mean, I think each one is at a minimum of a half an hour to perform the entire symphony. So, you know, these are, mm-hmm. these are massive works that took a long time to craft. And, you know, I, I, I think Vidor, you know, like probably most musicians are, was a perfectionist because, you know, he published, he published his symphonies. Um, but he constantly continued to revise them throughout his life. Um, I think it was his second symphony. Um, and I'm never going to be able to find the source for this. So I, I'm just going to have to go off of this. Um, if you guys want to do the research, this was actually a, um, a doctoral thesis on, um, on, um, you know, the, the development of Vidor's symphonies, you know, so as, as he went back and revised, he actually cut an entire movement out of the symphony. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I wonder why I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't dive too much into that. Um, but I, I, I thought that was interesting and I don't, I don't know that he ever actually gave his reasonings as to why, um, Hmm. as to why he cut it out, but it, it wasn't suiting the piece. And so gone. (laughs) 
Okay. Um, you know, but so yeah, so he would, you know, he would go back and he would revise and make corrections and make improvements as he as he saw fit. So, you know, really, really dedicated. And so, you know, these these ten symphonies are, you know, really a culmination of a lifetime's worth of work on these pieces. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. And as far as I can see as well, uh, apparently Vidor actually did a bit more than just those symphonies in regards to organ solo pieces. Yeah, when it comes to organ solo pieces, there is a bit more that he did besides the ten symphonies that he did. One was a box uh, Lamento published in 1925, Suite Latine in Opus 86 in 1927, Trois Nouvelles Pisse, uh, Opus 87, in 1934. And uh, there's also the Marsh, Marsh uh, Nuptile, uh, Opus 64, uh, from published in ni- 1892, transcribed by someone else. And uh, yeah, that's, that's as far as I've uh, been uh, seeing here. On Wikipedia, uh, yes. Aside from the uh, symphonies that Vidor did, there was a few more that he did for organ solos, as well as uh, symphonies with organ and orchestra, which are basically uh, organ concertos, I believe. Yes. And as such, he has done a few of those as well. Okay, so with all that being said, fellow Mavericks, what we just discussed recently with everything that we... Discussed in the discussed in this entire episode leads to the w- leads to the conclusion that we have for you, which is that uh, with the innovations that uh, Vidor came across with Cavai Cole is because of him being inspired by Cavai Cole's inspirations with uh, enhancing the organ to the capabilities that we take for granted nowadays. We should actually be very grateful for. Fedor to take advantage of those uh, of those innovations that Cavai Cole made and had and Vidor had insisted uh, Cavai Cole to uh, currently taking the innovations of uh, Cavai Cole's organs for granted. Though we shouldn't forget that if it weren't for Vidor, we wouldn't be having the immensely beautiful uh, organ music that we would have today if it weren't for Cavai Cole's innovations. For instance, one of my one of my per, one of my other personal favorite instruments of all time that I have played that I have played personally is a trumpet and so is an ocarina. There may be similar organ stops that sound like ocarinas, though I'm going to specifically talk about trumpets and how Cavai Cole's innovations uh, with a uh, more more realistic sounding trumpet stops uh yes because trumpets being one of my favorite one of my favorite instruments aside from the piano and organ there's just so so much uh tonal quality with what the trumpet is uh keep with what the trumpet is capable of and even it's uh with its regal sounding texture that just makes the trumpet stops one of the most uh signature uh stops on any organ and we would have we would definitely have cavi cold uh thank for even making trumpet sounding like stops available to even most uh, modern organs to this day if it weren't for Cavai Cole and even for Vidor taking advantage of those innovations that 
Gavai Cole made available for him in the first place. And so we definitely have a lot to thank Vidor for. Yeah. You know, Johnny and I talk a lot about, you know, we, we, we always talk about, you know, the organ is a one-man or one-woman symphony orchestra, um, you know, and it really comes down to, you know, Kevai Cole and Vidor. Um, you know, that's where that came from. You know, this is where, you know, the organ really became that symphonic instrument. So this is, you know, this this is kind of the roots of, of what Johnny and I do with our arrangements. You know, what we are able to do, you know, in in recreating these pieces on the organ really is all down to to these two. Um, you know, and so you know, it's it, it's 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 really cool to kind of look back and see, you know, what they did and how you know how they pushed the limits of the instrument, you know, and you know to to follow that up, you know, 150 years later, and this is you know what we're doing, you know, we're we're pushing the limits of the instrument and seeing you know what all we can make it do and what we can recreate with it. Um, oh yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, and also not taking for granted now that uh, we're very much aware of where it all of where it all stemmed from yes we definitely have those two gentlemen to thank for making it even more possible and that's also also one of the ways how vidor is definitely a morgan is is how vidor is considered an organ maverick on our books as he did take advantage of the innovations that uh cavicle made with the with his with his uh with his uh with with his pipe organs and also Vidor and, and also with Vidor collaborating more often with Cavai Cole to make the organ much more grander and having those same innovations being uh being uh being used with many other builders, thus giving many other many other organists around the world, especially us that are talking to you right now, much more opportunities to be as creative as possible with these inst- with these very versatile instruments thanks to Vidor's and uh Cavicol's uh work into this if it weren't for them it would not the pipe organ would not be as versatile as it is today if it were not for them and so fellow Mavericks thank you very much for listening this has been a very interesting episode for sure in regards to how the pipe organ became the grand instrument that we know of today and the such. And of course, there's definitely some more organ mavericks in history that we will be discussing in future episodes, though this is where we're going to have to stop for now. And before we end things off, we want to remind you, fellow mavericks, that we do have a new Twitter account. It is very easy to find. It is... The Twitter handle is at Organ Podcast. If you go on Twitter right now and search search the Organ Mavericks podcast up by looking up the Twitter handle at Organ Podcast, you'll easily find it right there. And you'll even find the link to it in the episode notes. And uh, now regarding the email... <clears throat> Rob. Yes, and so you yeah. know, we would always love to hear from you Mavericks out there, any feedback that you have, anything that you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. We're always looking for new topics. If you have any or- organ Mavericks in history that you would like us to cover, definitely let us know that. You can reach us, um, organmavericks at gmail.com. It's organmavericks at gmail.com, and of course that is in the episode notes, but we would absolutely love to hear from you, so drop us a line and, yeah, and be in touch. Yes, indeed. And again, fellow Mavericks, thank you so much for listening, 
and we'll see you next time.